Please find Psalm 46 in your Bibles. We continue our study of the Psalms this summer. Psalm 46. Yesterday and the day before was citywide garage sales in Smithville, Missouri. My wife is out of town and I spent too much time driving from neighborhood to neighborhood looking for signs and junk everywhere. How many of you had a garage sale this last weekend? Really? Well, how, how many of you went to garage sales this last week? Well, maybe it's not as popular as I thought, but I saw a bunch of people out there. And um, I had the weirdest experience that was very sobering to me. I began to cry at one point. Now, I don't weep a lot. You guys see me cry more than anybody because I, as I pour out my guts to you on Sunday mornings. But I began to cry, and here's why. Maybe I'll do it again right now. I hope not. Every neighbor, Smithville has all these neighborhoods, right? Subdivisions here, subdivisions there. Everyone I went to, I could, I could point to the house where as a pastor, I had to respond to a death or family crisis. Every neighborhood. And I was like, this is supposed to be fun. And it wasn't. It was, and it just, I mean, honestly, it was like every corner I turn around, Somebody's life has been turned upside down. You meet people at garage sales too, and they start to tell you their life story. Like, I picked up a belt because her husband no longer needed them. Or I picked up a, a, a work thing because her husband could no longer, he had passed away. Or, or divorces, and I'm just getting rid of this stuff. It's tragic. Well, you might say, why did I start out like that? Psalm 46 speaks to that kind of world. It it speaks to just a world turned upside down. As the psalmist will say, when everything gets shaken, when everything gives way, what do you do? Well, the famous verse from this psalm is verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, I want to point something out because I try to be precise with this. That is verse Psalm 46, 10a. Okay? One of the reasons we study these psalms is so we don't just pick and choose our little bumper stickers and our little coffee mugs. I googled, be still and know that I am God, or Lord, and you can find it on mugs, you can find it on wall plaques, you can find it on bumper stickers, you can find it everywhere. It is just one little glimpse in this psalm, and frankly, I think we, we, I don't want to say we misuse it, but we don't understand the full force of those words. What does it mean for God's word to tell us to be still and know that he is the Lord? Well, let's find out. Here's how this psalm goes. Look at verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. 
He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. God, help us to learn what it means to be still and know that you are Lord. As, as the earth quakes around us, as things are ripped from us, there is a river that makes glad the people of God. And so help us, God, to find our strength in you. God, help us to acknowledge who you are and just be comforted. May you be our refuge and our fortress. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start, you might say verse 1, we've covered this before, but the Psalms have these little subtitles. And there's a subtitle there, it says, For the director of music, the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. Okay? I don't expect you to know any of that. I don't remember any of this stuff until I relook it up and study it again. But it's written for the sons of Korah. And let me give you a little history on who these guys are, because they show up quite a bit in the Psalms. In fact, Psalms are separated into five books. There's up to chapter 40, I think, is book one. And then 41 or 42 starts book two. And in book two, the sons of Korah wrote many more than David did. David did not write a lot of the Psalms in the second book. Well, who are these guys? Well, if you go back to number 16, Korah was a guy who rebelled against Moses. And he was judged for that. He and his leaders, Korah and his leaders, were judged by God. They were struck down. But some of his family survived, obviously, and the sons of Korah became the worship leaders in the tabernacle and in the temple. And just the point here is that sometimes those who have been that close to the judgment of God make the best worshipers. I don't think it's an accident that they saw their father rebel against God, God's man Moses, be judged for that. They walk away and say, that's the God I want to worship. I don't, I can't point you to the verse that says that, but that's their history and that's who they became. And this room might have people just like the sons of Korah who know that they've been saved from the wrath of God by the blood of Jesus Christ and worship God like they wouldn't have had they not known that. Well, point one, be strong. Okay. What it says in verse one is that God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. So A, God is our strength. It says that he is our refuge. If you think the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge. There were sanctuary cities, if you want, where if somebody was either attacked or accused of something, they could run to these cities and be protected until trial or until that person died or whatever. God is our refuge. He is the person or the one who protects us when attacks come, when accusations come. Isaiah 4 talks about this, the canopy over Mount Zion, a refuge and strength from the storm and the rain. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He's our refuge. He also says he's our strength. One thing that that last song, we're going to do it again as the invitation. That was my request. When you're the preacher, you get to request a few songs here and there. Is the Christian life is a life of dependence. It is not, I've got it figured out. It is totally lived in Christ. It's how we're saved. Think about that. If you go to God and say, the reason I'm in heaven is because I did something, you're wrong. It all has to do with what Christ did for you. are dependent on the life and the mercy of, of God through Christ. It's how we serve. It's how we fight sin in our life. It's how we succeed. It's everything we do. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. And Paul tells the Corinthians, it's because you're like treasures 
You have a treasure like in a jar of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So one of the things that we face, and as I, again, I tell you that story about the garage sales on purpose, is this life will throw more at you than you can handle. It teaches you to come to God. I, uh, just as luck would have it, I got a book in the mail this week. It's a promotional thing. I'd never read it until this morning. I thumbed through it. And there was a definition of stress in that book that said, stress is the fearful concern that we experience when life's demands seem greater than our ability to meet them. It's a pretty good definition. We don't know what to do. And he uses the example, and I'll come back to this later of Mark 4, where Jesus calms the storm. And some people look at the storm. Some people look within. Some people look to God. And what he's saying here is God is our strength. When we look out, like at the storms of life, when we look out, then our circumstances kind of dictate how we feel about things. If you look within, you're going to be disappointed there too. Because life will give you more than you can handle. But if you look to God, it puts all that in perspective and you find your strength in him. That's what the psalmist here is saying. And he also says in verse 1, he is our ever-present help in trouble. The word trouble there means when pressure comes. It, it really means a narrow place. It's when you get squeezed by what's going on. When you feel the heat, when you feel the pressure. And what the Bible says here is that God is our ever-present help in those moments. Maybe not before, but he gets us through those tough times. Um, recently... Jackson, I think, did I tell this story last week? If I did, I'm sorry. But he had a, he didn't, his tummy hurt, okay? My son's 22 years old, by the way. And he's recently married within the last year. But his tummy hurt. And what do you do when your tummy hurts? Well, your wife calls your mama. And so we got a call from Jackson's wife. Um, They had never been through, it wasn't major at all, but they needed some help. They needed care. They needed to find out what was going on. It involves insurance, and so they needed to figure out what was in network and what wasn't in network and all this stuff, right? All that, talk about junk of life. So we get the call, and it it comes down, this is a Saturday, I think it is, late Saturday, and it's like, well, you probably ought to go to urgent care, figure out what's going on. Who knew, but urgent care doesn't mean urgent, apparently, Because they exhausted every urgent care they could find, and it's like nobody's open. I guess emergency is more important than emerg- you know, urgent, but they didn't want to go to the ER. So I need all that stuff. Well, I tell you that story because God is on call. He, urgent care, he's there, right? You can call him up. He never takes the weekend off. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Right when you need him. Jackson didn't need him on Friday. He needed him on Saturday. And God would have been there on Saturday. And so that's what the psalmist is saying. They're saying, we've learned that God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Well, not only that, he says, this is verse 2 now, because God is our fortress, our fear goes away. It says in verse 2, therefore, and you know how this works, what's the therefore, therefore, since God is our strength and our refuge and our ever-present help, Therefore, I will not fear. How much of life do we live in fear? Fear of what might happen. Fear of what did happen. Fear that I can't handle it. Fear of what people might think. There's another psalm. Psalm 37 says, do not fret or do not fear. Is another way to say that. It leads only to evil. 
Just think of all the damage that gets done to ourselves and to other people because we live in fear all the time. And it comes back to we don't understand that God is our strength, our refuge, our ever-present help. Therefore, we will not fear, though, oh no, the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and the foam of the mountains quake with their surging. Now, this is not an environmental catastrophe the psalmist is talking about here. I thought of this little phrase. I hope I can remember it now because I thought of it while we were singing. This is not a call for, and this is not political. It's just the way my mind works. This is not a call for a green new deal. It's a call to say God's not done. Okay. This has to do with life falling down. This has nothing to do with literal mountains falling and seas roaring. What the psalmist do here is saying, I'm thinking of all the terrible things I can think of that could happen in this world. And that's life falling apart. He's using natural events to say the most extreme things, the most broken things that we can think of. Isaiah puts it this way, the earth is utterly broken. Isaiah also says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken and my covenant of peace will not be removed, says the Lord. Sometimes life just goes crazy. It says there, though the earth give way. The word give way means it's either removed, if you ever had the rug yanked out from under you, or changed, like you, you, don't, you can't even get a solid footing anymore. What he's describing in all these things is what it feels like when your world falls apart. When everything you knew or thought you knew, everything you thought you loved, everything you thought you trusted is taken from you or changed. Do we not live in a time of change when literally every day there's like, I never saw that coming. Well, this may sound harsh, I don't mean it to, but maybe we were never meant to trust and love those things more than God. But God is there all the time. So when those things fall apart, he says, I'm still there. We learn that through those difficult times. Point B, more geography here, is God is our stream. It says in verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Now here's just a little geography stuff. Most major cities in the history of the world show up next to rivers for obvious reasons. There's transportation. There's oftentimes defense. There's resources. You have a water supply. You can get supplies. Jerusalem doesn't have that. It's one of the oddities of ancient cities that grew up not next to a river, a major river. And it has a stream, and we know there's a Hezekiah's tunnel, and there's all kinds of fun facts about that. But one of the things that's unique is what the, he's saying is there is a river, okay? You, I've been to Jerusalem. You can't look out and say, like, we can drive down the road and say, there's the Missouri River. I can point you to where all this happens. You can't do that in Jerusalem. It's not there. Even the Jordan River that comes, you know, is pretty small by comparison. It's not a major waterway. He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Lord most, there's a river within that city. I tweeted or Facebooked or something the other day. I have peace. Let's see. It is well with my soul because there's a well within my soul. It's what Jesus talks about when we can have living water that this world does not know. We have a source of, it says, joy that makes glad the city of God. We have a source of peace, we have a source of strength, we have a source of joy that only is explained by God and God alone. 
Therefore, when the waters dry up or they go crazy and the mountains fall and all that, we still have that source of strength and peace and protection. So even though everything's falling apart, there is a river whose dreams make glad the city of God. God is within her. She will not fall. That's that source of living water within us. God comes and he came as a man in Jesus Christ. Now he indwells his believers because we now have, again, in the midst of everything else going on, within us is the presence of God. And because of that, she, the city, or us, the Christian, will not fall. Read ahead to Revelation 21, 22, where there's a river there that springs life everywhere. That's the source of fulfillment. That's the source of significance, of safety, all those things. That's what the psalmist is saying. Everything else is falling apart, but in me, in us, is this presence of God, so we will not fall. It says in verse 5, God will be with her at break of day. Think of that for a minute. I, uh, this morning, I woke up earlier than normal. I don't know why, um, but you wait for the sun to come up. You know, you wait for dawn. That's kind of what you're waiting for. And the imagery here, and I'll, I'll get around to it in a second, is one of battle, where the city is being besieged. There's a, there's a historical connection to this in Second Kings, I think it is, but um, where the city is being besieged. They've, they've literally been surrounded. They're, they do things like stop up the water supply, all that kind of stuff. And it's like waiting for the dawn to say, what happened out there? Are we still alive? Is there any hope? And so that critical moment, the break of day, they're going to see. At some point, we will see what God has done. Okay, that's that's the imagery here. Waking up after uh, just being surrounded and besieged and wondering what happened over the night. What What is the sun going to show over the battlefield? What it says in verse 6 is the nations are in uproar, but kingdoms fall. And he lifts his voice and the earth melts. God will one day speak and it will change. He doesn't, anyway, it, it, last week we saw Psalm 2, the nations plot and conspire, but God just laughs. It says one day God will just speak and the earth will melt. The way he does that, when he speaks, he speaks through his word, right? I mean, as we know the word of God, that is the strength within us. As we share the word of God, that speaks truth into this chaotic world. And so that's that's the picture here. Now, point two, uh, I, I struggled. I, be still or be silent. I didn't know what to put as this main point. If I were just going to go with the bumper sticker and the coffee mug, I just said, be still. Now, Here's where I want to, I want to shake your uh, understanding of scripture a little bit. I want you to understand not that, not that it's wrong the way you've been looking at, but it's much more forceful again than the coffee mug. Because when I hear be still and know that the Lord is God, I want to sing a lullaby and I just want to kind of go to sleep. And there is comfort in it. If you're on the right side, there's comfort in it. But even to those that are in Christ, it's more than just comfort. It's a challenge. This verse, where it says, when I get to it, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God, means be silent before God. Okay? And so, A, wars will cease. Verse 8 says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. This goes back to that battle scene. You wake up in the morning wondering what God did in the night. Well, he, he destroyed the enemy is what he did. One day, everyone will see. We'll look over the battlefield and we'll see that God has routed his enemies. 
Because it says in verse 9, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth, and he breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. Isaiah paints the picture of swords being bent into plowshares and that kind of stuff. And no more war. We won't learn about war. Revelation talks about no more war. But the way God does away with war is he does away with enemies. This is not a peace treaty. This is a victory. In fact, Psalm 46, 47, 48 are sometimes called the triumphant trio. That it talks about the victories that God brings. What we're seeing here when he says no more wars on the earth is the aftermath of a great battle that God wins. It's a victory of, of God. The historical setting, I alluded to this earlier, it is 2 Kings 18 and 19. Isaiah tells the same thing. Hezekiah is the king of Israel. Hezekiah is surrounded by the Assyrians. A, a guy named Sennacherib is the, uh, the king of the Assyrians. Isaiah is the prophet at the time. And the Assyrians surround Jerusalem. And they ridicule God's people. The people are listening over the walls of the city. And Sennacherib says to them, don't listen, don't trust your God. And he says, don't trust Hezekiah. We've won all the wars. We've won all the battles. So Hezekiah does what Hezekiah should have done. And what we need to do is he goes to the Lord in prayer. And he calls the prophet of God. And here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah says to him, don't be afraid of what you're hearing. I mean, I could pluck that out of today's headlines. Don't don't be afraid of what you're hearing. And then Hezekiah goes to the Lord in prayer and he says this, deliver us. And here's the reason. So that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you are the God. And God responds, he says, I will defend this city and I will save it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. How does God do that? Verse 35, that night the angel Lord went out and put to death 85,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up in the morning, this is that break of day, this is the light of day. When the people got up in the morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. Someday that's going to play out for us. Well, not only will war cease, point B, and this gets to our verse 10, words will cease. It says in verse 10, he says, be still. Again, don't think lullaby here. Think of God saying, knock it off. I think this is okay. My mom's not here to slap me, but I think it's God saying, shut up and listen. Now, this is taken by both God's enemies and God's children, so we have to explore both of those. But literally, when it says be still, it means stop striving, stop contending, stop fighting. And for God's enemies, it's stop fighting against me, I'm going to win. And for the Christian, for those in Christ, this is not up to you so much. Stop thinking you've got to figure this out. Okay? It's not sit down and just lullaby stuff. It's, it's would you just knock it off for a second? I think it's like God talking to Job. Brace yourself like a man and let me ask you a few questions. Were you there when I did this and that? Just trust me in this. It's the exact same language that, and this ties back to an earlier story I told you about this, Jesus on the stormy sea. In Mark 4, 39, when he says, be still to the winds and the wave. That wasn't a lullaby, was it? That was, knock it off. 
And that's what God is saying here through this. A few verses, Habakkuk tells us this, let all the earth keep quiet before him. Zephaniah says, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Zechariah says, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Again, to the enemies, it's like God saying, would you be quiet? You're going to lose. Okay? And to the Christians, says, will you just quit working? I've got this. Okay? And I'm not saying, again, quit working doesn't mean you just take a nap. It, it, in fact, I'll show you that here in a second. But he says, if you will do this, if you will quit striving, it says, you will know that I am God. Bible, when it uses the word know, often is very intimate. It's the same thing we use in marriage often. You know somebody intimately. You will know God like you've never known him before when he shows up and does something that you could not figure out how to do. You will... Just bring that word out a little more. You will acknowledge him for who he really is. You will recognize him for who he is. You will honor him for who he really is. You will, as Philippians says, like everyone else, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day will come when we will know that God is God. Everything else may give way, so stop finding your strength, your hope, your significance in anything other but God. We are nothing more than God says we are. And by the way, we're nothing less than he says we are in Christ. We are but a breath, the Bible tells us, yet in Christ we're his beautiful children. We are dust. We are a vapor. We're insignificant, but in Christ we're image bearers and worth everything to him. And he says in verse 10, and this is the second part of that verse that never makes it to the mug. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on earth. God does not lack any confidence there that how this will turn out. And so point three is be saved. There was a verse I skipped. You might have noticed at verse seven. It comes back at verse 11. It's a chorus repeating himself. It says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay? The Lord Almighty is, he's the Lord of hosts. He commands the armies. He's big and he's bad in a good way, right? And yet, he's with us. When it says Lord of hosts, that means he is up there, out there, over everything. But he chooses to be with us. This is the miracle of Christianity. Emmanuel, God with us. That he came and again lived his life. There is a great assurance in this when we face the world that God did not just sit up there in the distance someplace say, well, I wonder how bad it is for them. He sent his son so that we would have a sympathetic high priest who has compassion, who knows what we're going through, who can walk with us through those times. Whatever we face, he's with us. That's the most important thing to know that he's with us as the earth shakes or is it solid? I don't know, but he's with us. So, A, the Lord is mighty. B, the Lord is merciful. Because the Lord Almighty could be against us, but he's with us. And he has a different name here that both 7 and 11 say this. He's the God of Jacob. Do you remember who Jacob is? If, if, If you're vaguely familiar with the Bible, you know, he's some Old Testament character that God kind of brought the nation of Israel through him. He must have been a great guy. No, his main name means cheater. 
He was a scoundrel. And so what this, what this, these verses 7 and 11 tell us is God Almighty is with us, even Jacob's. If your name is Jacob, I apologize. But no matter how bad you've been, no matter how bad you are, no matter what you've done, God is with you. And He's your fortress, it tells us. This is a great comfort to know that the God of the universe is with us. And He's gracious and He's merciful. When I was driving around again, my wife being gone, I drive around a lot these days. That, that, that made it sound like a lonely old man, didn't it? I'm, not, I'm having a blast. But anyway, I just drive around all day. Uh, this little thought came to my mind as I'm thinking about this at one point. I said, I can't believe that God would choose me. And then, I can't believe he would use me. That sounded like a cartoon character where that came out. Think of that. A Jacob turns into a country that God chooses. A pastor, God chose me and actually uses me despite who I am. Because, again, it's not me, it's him through me. Same with you. He says there he is our fortress in verse 7 and 11. And this is where it doesn't mean just huddle back and relax and be passive. Um, Martin Luther, by the way, and I'll bring him in here, because there's a lot of great theology that was written in German. You might do the connections here. The Reformation happened through Martin Luther. And um, he wrote a song called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Guess where he got that idea from this, from this song? Well, he translated some things into German to, to make sense of it. And when he got to the word fortress or somewhere around there, when it talks about just kind of trusting God, he, one commentator says this way, if we're not careful, we get the wrong idea that it means we just hide behind God, huddle up behind him. But it means, the German anyway, loosely translated, doesn't mean just hide behind. It says give it a shot. Go for it. Try it. It means that when God's our refuge, because he is our refuge, because he is our fortress, we can live boldly, not fearfully. Does that make sense? That When it says be still, it's not just hide. It's quit striving in yourself, but understand that God's behind this. God is in this. And so a pastor wrote about Luther and all this stuff about the hymn. It says, the way Luther wrote it and stuff, it tempts us to think that God's refuge and strength in terms of what we might call a defense, as if God's refuge is something we hide behind, as if God's strength enables us to repel our enemies. If you turn the German word into a verb, he says, it means defend yourselves, put up a fight, go for it, take a stand. Not with us looking down on a battlefield from behind the cover of the walls and the shields. But God will be exalted among the nations because we go out into the nations. And God will be exalted on the earth because that's where we live and that's where we serve and that's where we share the gospel. You see, the nations will bow down. Don't just sit back and pray, God, oh, please do something about it. Serve. Fight sin evangelize, go on mission, do the things because of the strength of God behind you. Because he's a fortress and a strength and an ever-present help in times of trouble, you can put yourself in sticky situations because he's on call 
Well, here's how I would conclude this. I've already given you my application. Are you finding your strength in the Lord? Point one. Are you trying to do it yourself? Are you trying to depend on yourself? If I could go back to that definition of stress, when the things of you know, this world seem like more than you can handle, guess what? That's just going to add more stress. Your strength is in the Lord. Secondly, are you being still before the Lord? Are you being silent before the Lord? I mean, quit fighting with him about this. And thirdly, are you saved by the Lord? Your greatest enemy is not what's out there. It's the sin in your heart. And God took care of that by sending Jesus Christ to die in your place. Someday you will stand alone before the Lord. Face to face. You and him. And if you think the earth melts away, everything you will depend on for your righteousness, for your hope, for the reason you ought to go to heaven, for the reason he ought to judge you or not judge you, everything except the blood of Jesus Christ will melt away. You will be there face to face and you will even acknowledge, that's right, I deserve hell. Standing alone before God, all that matters is what he says about you and what he's done for you. He is your refuge and he is your strength. So we've already sung this song. There's peace that outlasts the darkness. There's hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow, for tomorrow's in your hands. All I need you will provide, just like you always have. I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. Let's pray. Father, our salvation has already been won in Jesus Christ, should we choose to accept that gift. God, the things of this world are shaking and falling away, yet you remain. Help us, God, to find our strength in you. Help us, God, to be silent before you, to quit striving as if it depends on us. And God, may we be saved by you. We are Jacobs who don't deserve your grace and your mercy that you offer it through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, it's one thing to look at the world around us and look at the chaos and the evil and wonder when and how you'll fix that. It will silence us when we look at the evil within us and wonder how you could fix that but you have in Jesus Christ. You freed us from the punishment of our sin. You've given us new life in him. And there is a river within us that makes glad the people of God. God, as we sing, may we also be thinking about how we should respond to this, your word. May you move us, God, to find our strength in you. May you move us, God, to offer our lives to you, to be saved by you, God pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.